for visiting with us. A Bible in the chair in front of you. You go towards the back, and uh, it's the New Testament is renumbered. They renumber the New Testament, so find page seventy-three in that black Bible, seventy-three for John chapter four. John chapter four. We're going to study this morning the first twenty-six verses. It's hard to split this up. I decided to split it right here at verse twenty-six, and then we'll look at <coughs> excuse me at uh, 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 twenty-seven to forty-two next week. So let me read John 4, John chapter 4, 1 through 26. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples, he left Judea, came again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Therefore Jesus, wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour, high noon. A woman came, Samaritan woman came, to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no friendly relations with Samaritans? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well's deep. Where then you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? I don't think so. Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a spring of water, springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty. I've come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband, come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've well said, I have no husband. If you've had five husbands, and one whom you now have is not your husband, this you said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I see you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in his mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe into me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming. And now is. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him, it is necessary for them to worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I, I am the one who speaks to you. 
December of 1990, Chris's parents had the idea that maybe it would help to uh, kind of keep us apart. So they sent her down to Master's College in January of 1991. So for five months, Chris and I were apart. We were together since uh, June of 1990, and we were together all the time. And uh, so she, I remember driving her down January of 1991 with my mother-in-law and then driving back up with my mother-in-law to San Jose, San Jose to SoCal, back up from SoCal to San Jose. I was mad. And it backfired. It didn't work. Here I am, my 1969 Dodge Dart, driving down two, I think maybe, at least two, maybe three times to go visit Chris down at Master's College, Master's University, sorry. Driving down to Los Angeles, and I was working and going to school full-time, San Jose State University. I would go down and see her, and so she was in the, uh, the ladies' dorms, and she had a friend whose boyfriend was staying in the guys' dorm, so I would stay with Adrian Donato, stayed in his dorm, visit for like a weekend or something like that, and then drive back up. <laughs> and what are, so January to May, and it was horrible. Five months of torture. And all it did was further our thirst to be with each other, our longing for each other. So then, November of 1991, we got engaged. May of 1992, we got married. The rest is history. And so we come to this passage, and that's the idea. A thirst, a a desire, a passion. You know, thirsty, it's hot. You need ice cold water. You need that because you're so thirsty, you need it. You come to passages like that, and that's the idea. Passages like this, that's the idea. That Jesus is the one who satisfies our thirst, who quenches our desires. John's gospel says, come, receive, believe, know Jesus. That's the theme, and today we'll see, come, drink the living, thirst-quenching water. Jesus Come, drink the living water, the thirst-quenching water. That's Jesus. Come, drink the living, thirst-quenching water. It's Him. Drink Him. Partake of Him. Let's uh, put these 26 verses in a statement, okay? Jesus the living water, offers himself and he truly satisfies us, quenching our thirst. When we drink him, he exposes and cleanses our sin and it's a response of worshiping the triune God. That's how you can put these 26 verses in one statement. He's the living water. He offers himself. Jesus said that if I thirst, I should come to him. And he truly satisfies us, quenching our thirst. And when we drink him, he will expose your sin and he will cleanse your sin. 
And that drinking of him, that is a response of worship. That's what that is. It's worshiping the triune God. So Jesus and his Father in the Spirit must be the focus in our worship. The living water is Jesus who must be central in our worship. Jesus and the cross must be the apex of our worship. I mean, you realize baptism is a display of the cross. You understand that, right? Water is bad. Water means judgment. You die. The old Pat died, and there's a new Pat. There's a new Duane. There's, there's a new Dutch. There's a new Catra. They're, they're, and they're telling you that. They're, they're, they're telling you that by, by their very actions. This is what's happened to me. So the cross is the apex of our worship. Jesus and the cross. And, and living water is a real spiritual person. It's not a natural substance. And drinking living water is who we worship and how we worship, not where. So some questions. Am I worshiping a what or a who? Am I worshiping a God of my own making or the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he truly satisfying to me or am I looking elsewhere to people, stuff, money, sex, glory, food to satisfy me? Health, relationships, a family, Am I looking to those? Am I looking elsewhere to satisfy me? One writer, he put it this way. It's so good. He said, seek God as he is, not who you want him to be for you. This was the woman's problem. She was, she was seeking God how she wanted him to be, not how he is. And that's, that's our problem. It's easy for us to do that. To seek a God who we want him to be for me. I want you to be this kind of God for me. I mean, no, that's not how it works, man. That's not how it works. God doesn't jive like that. Our worship must be Christ-centered and cross-centered. True worship, one writer put it like this, a true worship is directed to the Father, mediated through the Son, and empowered and directed by the Spirit. So our focus is the Father, personally centered on Christ and is done in the Spirit. This is true worship, the true worship of God's people. And speaking of God's people, the local church is the living expression of worshiping the triune God because the real body of Christ and the real presence of the Spirit is here. Whether you have the elements here or not, the Lord's Supper elements, that's, that doesn't matter. This is just a reminder that he's here. When, when, when the body of Christ gathers together, Jesus is really here. Isn't that, that's like uh, uh, dumbfounding. The real presence 
of Christ is here. The real presence of the Spirit is here right now. Worship is rightly done in his body, the church. And not saying that a godly life doesn't worship God. Yes, a godly life is an aspect of worship, Romans 12, right? Of course. But we are living out spirit and truth together when we gather. We're living this out. We're doing this. It's our very basic need. The basic need of thirst. And God seeks and satisfies us with a kind of drink that we could never imagine himself. It's way better than alcohol. Not just himself, but the mission of the triune God. To drink this drink truly satisfies us and is the true response of worship. And one more statement before we jump into the text. You realize you know, there's not a tension between this woman and Jesus. I mean, it is, but it's really, it's a tension between the world and Jesus. She did not really understand her true need. Neither do we. So I broke this, these 26 verses down into four different parts. So I'll, I'll pre- um, uh, present them to you. Part number one. First, number one, to realize God's predetermined plan for living water drinkers. God's predetermined plan for living water drinkers, verse one through seven. Notice, one, in verse one, he knew, the Lord knew, Pharisees heard, he was making more disciples, baptizing more disciples than John, although verse two, excuse me, he wasn't doing it, but his disciples were. Left Judea, had passed through Samaria, came to Sychar, near the Jacob's well, so he's weary from his journey, it's high noon, a woman came from Samaria. Now let's talk about this. So, Disciples baptizing, his popularity is rising, he left Judea, there's Samaritans, Jacob's well, he gets thirsty, it's high noon, she comes. Okay, blah, 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 blah. There's two aspects you gotta make mention here that we gotta recognize here in reference to God's predetermined plan for living water drinkers. First, the Samaritans. Who are these people? The northern kingdom of Israel which was named Israel, the southern kingdom was called Judah. It split after Solomon. They named Samaria as the new capital. And after the Assyrians came and took over the land and laid waste to everything, the Assyrians settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with surviving Israelites. And these half-breeds, if you would, adhere to a false form of Old Testament Judaism. So the Jews, by this time, they view the Samaritans as children of not just political rebels, but as half-breeds. To add to the tension, the Samaritans built a rival temple in 400 B.C. on Mount Gerizim. And Mount Gerizim was important. There were some things, different, important things that happened in Mount Gerizim in the Old Testament with the patriarchs. Not everything, what the Samaritans thought. Uh, John Hyrcanus, he destroyed that temple. But they still worshipped in that same place. 
And the Samaritans only recognized the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, as truth. None of the prophets. So there was hatred and distrust between Jews and Samaritans. As a matter of fact, both were guilty of violent war crimes against each other. But they weren't kind of on friendly terms, I should say. So that's the first thing we need to understand about these first seven verses, which adds to the weight of this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. But something else you need to notice. Look at verse four. And he had to pass through Samaria. It was necessary for him to pass through Samaria. D-E-I, delta, epsilon, iota in the Greek, which means it is necessary. It must happen. The father determined Jesus to speak with this woman. It was in his plan. It was in the plan with Jesus, which tells us something. It tells us what? God elects and predetermines salvation. That's true. But he also predetermines the means by which people are saved. We give them the gospel. God elects people. God predetermines them. Absolutely, that's in the Bible. If you don't think that's in the Bible, you need to read your Bible. It's there. You've got to do something with that. But keep in mind, he also predetermines the means by which those people are saved. We give them the gospel. God predetermines situations and puts you in those situations so we give someone the gospel. It happened to me Friday, just Friday, about 6.15, I'm about to leave, and here I start talking with this guy about Christ. Just... It just happened. Just, and I'm praying, I'm praying, okay, Lord, bring this direction, bring this conversation into the gospel, and he does. It goes into the gospel. God predetermines, his predetermined plan for living water drinkers. Keep that in mind, okay? Second aspect we gotta look at, splitting this up into four different aspects. Number two, drinking living water is offered And notice, and he, not it, he satisfies. Drinking living water is offered, and he satisfies, verses 7 through 15. Let's walk through this. A Samaritan woman, she's unschooled, no influence, possibly despised. Women likely came in groups to draw water. Maybe she was an outcast. She trusted a false religion, She's a female, Jews didn't talk with women, and a Samaritan. For everyone else, it's like, no way. For Jesus, perfect. Jesus loves stuff like this. Jesus began a conversation with her, breaking all social taboos. He likes doing stuff like that. Notice, he says, verse seven, give me a drink. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. There's some food that would be clean for them to eat, even though they despise them. This was a polite command from Jesus, asking for to share a cup. Share a cup with me. I'm going to drink. You drink, and then I'll drink. Or, or maybe some other dish. So you can have a drink from the well water. You know, this is the thing about Jesus. He loves doing this, and it's about the gospel. The gospel always breaks down social walls, ethnic walls, and cultural walls. You don't have to admit your whiteness to do that. 
Our culture tells you you have to admit your whiteness. That's ridiculous. That's straight teaching from the depths of hell. You don't need to admit your whiteness. It's the gospel that unites us. It's the truth. And that's what breaks down everything. God, spirit, truth, worshipers, unites people to be the one new humanity because we drink of the same living water and he satisfies. Then, verse nine. Therefore the servant of the moon said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, now, and I, I'm saying this like this because her question challenged Jesus. She, she was shocked and her question was, was sharp like a, a cutting reply. That's, that's why I'm reading it like this. How is it you, being a Jew, ask for me a drink since, since I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman too. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, I'm a woman. This is defilement. Why are you doing this? Jews don't use dishes or utensils that Samaritans use. In that case, it'd be unclean. There's ritual purity separating the Jews and Samaritans, but Jesus didn't care. He broke many social taboos to give the truth. Verse 10. Oh, excuse me. Uh, verse, end of verse 9. Jews have no friendly relations with Samaritans. Verse 10. Jesus entered and said to her, Nah, lady, if you knew who I was. That's what he was saying. No, 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 no. The surprise is greater than you think and your response toward me would be opposite from what you just said. If you knew the gift of God, that is eternal life or salvation, which culminates in the spirit given by the Father. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, Jesus is speaking now in a spiritual higher plane. Uh, She's thinking naturally. Who it is who says to you, her concern was a wrong who. He constantly point to himself as the need to be the object of her worship, as the need that she must drink him. She didn't know Jesus. She thought she did. Notice, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Reminiscent of Jeremiah 2.13, my, my people have, have committed two evils. They've, they've rejected me, the spring of living waters, says the Lord. Uh, you read uh, out loud Isaiah 55. Come, you are thirsty, drink. This water is God's satisfying eternal life mediated only through Jesus, the Son, Messiah, Savior, and His work done by the Spirit. His true rest, His true satisfaction in the triune God through Christ. Drink living water. You drink me. That's what He's saying. You have no idea who you're talking to, lady. That's the irony. He asked her for a drink. She's really the one who needs to drink. Right? 
her reply, another cutting, sharp reply. Sir, you have nothing to draw with in the well's deep. Where then do you get this living water? She's skeptical at best. At worst, she's laying the sarcasm real thick. Where do you get this living water? She's still thinking natural water. She didn't where. She wondered where, not who. She wondered where, not who. He'd get this living water. If you're offering this fresh water without expending any kind of energy going down this deep well, then you'll be greater than Jacob. Yeah, right. Fake Messiah. Her question implied a no answer. The way it's structured, is, it implies a no answer. You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? <laughs> Who gave us this well, drank of himself and his cattle. Apparently, buddy, you don't know your heritage and you don't know your roots from her perspective. You're greater than Jacob? Inconceivable. That word, I don't think it means what you think it means. You think this water is inadequate for you? Who are you, pal? Verse 13. Jesus Andrew said to her, I'm not talking about this water. All the ones who drink of this water shall thirst again. Because if you drink this water, you're going to thirst again because you're never really going to be satisfied. Verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water I give, he'll never thirst again. And this thirst is a thirst for God. The water I give him shall become in him a spring of water springing to eternal life. It will spring up inside a person a well of water to eternal life. It's a thirst for eternal life in God's presence which comes by the outpouring of the Spirit as you trust in Jesus. When you drink Jesus, it will create a heart that knows and experiences God in a real, true way, thirsting to love Him, thirsting to receive Him, thirsting to know Him, thirsting to do His will. That's the water I give, lady, and that water's me. And it's this water. It's a water that truly satisfies, satisfied in God, in Christ, in the Spirit. As it says in Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Jesus is the living water. That's why he's gonna shout it out in mm, three chapters later. Chapter seven, verse 37. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Fine. Give me this living water, verse 15. Woman said to him, Sir, give me this living water, this water so that I will not be thirsty. I'll come all the way here to drink. Still on a natural level. Maybe with an ounce of skepticism. Yeah, it's true. She, she wanted to get out of going there to draw water. Notice something. She knew she wanted it, but she didn't realize her deepest need. She didn't realize how deep that need that she had. She didn't get it. 
Drinking living water is offered to you. And Jesus satisfies. Jesus offers to you living water. If you're here, you don't know Jesus, he offers you living water. Come drink him and you'll be satisfied. He'll save you if you repent and trust Christ, as we heard up here four different times. Drinking living water is offered and he satisfies. Number three, drinking living water exposes and cleanses sin. Exposes and cleanses sin. Verse 16, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. Jesus began to reveal just how much she needed the true living water. As it says in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, on that day a fountain will be open to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Jesus is getting personal here. Jesus got personal. And he has to be personal because the water of salvation quenches our lives that have become exposed by God. Remember, you read out loud Isaiah 55. If you go down to verse 7 of Isaiah 55, it says this, let the wicked one abandon his way. Drinking living water exposes your sin and he'll cleanse you of your sin. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, well said, you have no husband. Verse 18, for you've had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not whom you now have is not your husband. This you've said truly. She didn't understand her need and how deep this thirst was in her. He wanted her to come to terms with the kind of water gift he was offering to her. You know, Jesus has a way of making things known in our lives. Jesus will make known to us our deepest sin hopelessness, guilt, despair, need, and other thirst than him. Other thirst rather than him problem. He'll do that. That's why he says, come and drink me. You'll be satisfied. And it was true, she had no husband. But notice how Jesus was such graciousness and gentleness, he exposed the whole truth about her. You see that? For there to be living water of the Spirit, the drinking of the living water of Jesus, cleansing must happen. He does that. He exposes it. But it'll cleanse you. So if, if you're here, you don't know Christ, come. He'll expose your sin, but he'll cleanse you and forgive you. So drinking living water is offered, he satisfies. Drinking living water exposes and cleanses sin. Here's the fourth one, which will take us all the way to verse 26. Drinking living water is worshiping the triune God. When you drink that living water, it's a response of worship. So Jesus says this, he exposes it. And verse 19 the woman said, sir, I see that you're a prophet. And, and people say that she's kind of blowing him off or she's like, oh, changing the subject. No, she's not. She's realized he's inspired in some way. She's intrigued. 
he's a prophet of some kind. And with that, she brought up a controversial point of contention between Jews and Samaritans. You're a prophet, so what about this? Notice she's no longer cutting, necessarily. But now there's some interest. Verse 20, our fathers, I mean the Samaritans, worshipped in this mountain. They only recognized Mount Gerizim as the place, the where of worship. So she challenged Jesus about where to worship. But you Jews say it's Jerusalem. So what is it? Verse 21, woman, and this is the same word, same way that Jesus described Mary in chapter 2. So it's, it's a respectful, it's a kind um, uh, 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 speaking to her. He's being kind and gentle, but he's also distancing himself from her. And it has here, believe me, literally believe into me. Notice he turned this into an invitation. Believe in me. Believe in me. I am the very thing of which I'm speaking of. In his very mission, the hour refers to his death, the cross, the resurrection, exaltation. Believe in to me, woman, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. Both places will become obsolete. It doesn't matter. There's no point in a debate because soon neither will matter. But the hour he's talking about, when he says an hour is coming, he's saying, he's talking about the cross. If you see hour in John's gospel, it's talking about the cross. It's talking about his suffering. It's talking about his death and his resurrection and exaltation. So notice he's focusing upon himself and the cross. And by the way, I just think this is kind of funny because here she's talking about worship and yet she's never been so close to worshiping God than right now. Isn't that so ironic? God is right in front of you, lady. (laughs) Isn't that funny? That's hilarious. She's talking about worshiping God and yet he's standing right there. I just think that's funny. Verse 22, the Jews had the origin and nature, excuse me, yes, the origin and nature of worship correct. You worship that which you do not know. You as Samaritans, you have it wrong. You don't understand God's revelation of himself. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse 22. Salvation was from the Jews in that they were the vehicle by which salvation came. It's only by Christ, the Messiah. Salvation lies in Messiah as revealed in the Jewish scriptures, which is more than just the Torah, dear woman. It's the whole Old Testament. To the Jews were given the oracles of God. It was a privilege and a responsibility to them. We worship that which we know for salvation is from the Jews, but then notice what he does here. 23 and 24 are so pivotal within this passage, but an hour is coming and now is. That position between Jews and Samaritans, it's going to become obsolete. Why? Because all worship must center upon Messiah Jesus and the cross. An hour is coming and now is. 
when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. The eschatological age is not only coming, but is now here. The cross, as one writer says, fosters true worshipers who are children of God who have received Messiah. So he's saying, true worship takes place only in him and through him. It's the cross which is the focal point and upon which the living water of the Spirit depends. All of it is possible only in the Lord Jesus. The true worshipers versus false. Lady, it's not about where. It's who and how. It's not about where. This building can, we can blow it up. It doesn't matter. This is not the church. We are the church. We are the worshipers. It's not about where. It's who and how. Who? Jesus. How? Spirit and truth. Spirit, that is, in the gift of the Spirit. Truth, in the true personal knowledge of the Word made flesh. Who is the truth? How does one receive God's gift and drink the living water that Messiah provides in spirit and truth? The Father may be the, may only be worshipped in spirit and truth in the gift of the Spirit and upon the ultimate self-expression of the Father who is the Son, who is the Messiah. It's Jesus. Who? How? Jesus, spirit and truth. Notice what Jesus says here at the end of verse 23. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. You can even translate seeks as demands. The Father demands these types of worshipers. You, you, you don't worship of God of your own thinking. You don't worship the God the way you want to. It don't work that way. You seek God and you worship him as he is, not how you want him to be. Now you say that in our culture, they'll laugh at you, won't they? They'll laugh at you because you can create a God of your own making and worship that God. That's not how it works. You worship God as he is, as he reveals himself, not who you want him to be. That's the kind of worshipers that the Father demands. Notice he says, verse 24, God is spirit. That's who he is. God is spirit. And how he should be worshiped? And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Notice, they must, the same word that's used in verse four, D-E-I, delta epsilon iota, it must happen this way. The only true temple is Jesus' body and it's the only way to worship the Father. The focus is on Jesus. It's the only way. Twenty-five. The woman said to him, "I know Messiah is coming. The one who's called Christ. When this one comes, he will declare all things to us. He's going to answer these tough questions." Here's the irony: she's explaining messianic expectations to the Messiah. Yeah, get the irony. It's kind of funny here again. 
Jesus said to her, from the Greek, ego eimi, I, I am the one who speaks to you. I, I am. Reminds us of Moses, the burning bush. This guy who's sitting next to you at Jacob's well is that Messiah. It's me, lady. The Old Testament scriptures speak about me. I'm the Messiah. Here's the irony. She was waiting for a what when the who was right in front of her. Now, Jesus had to be careful with the Jews when he calls himself Messiah because there was political military connotations with that. But with this woman, the Samaritans, he openly said who he really was. I'm the Messiah. I'm the living water. Drink me. Jesus, the living water, offers himself and he truly satisfies us quenching our thirst. When we drink him, he exposes and cleanses our sin and it's a response of true worship of God. So are you worshiping a God of your own making or the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he truly satisfying to you or are you looking elsewhere to people, to stuff, to money, sex, things, whatever to satisfy you? We seek God and we worship God as he is, not how we want him to be. Our worship must be central. It's Christ-centered and cross-centered. True worship focuses on the Father, is personally centered on Christ and done in the Spirit. And remember, we're the living expression of worshiping the triune God. With a living expression of that because the real body of Christ and the real presence of the Spirit is here. Worship is rightly done in his body, the church. We're living out spirit and truth. And, and then when we partake of the elements together, we're really worshiping in spirit and truth. We're reminding ourselves of the truth of Christ. We're reminding ourselves in the Spirit who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we are reminding ourselves of what he's done for us and how we trust in him. We trust his body was given for us. He shed his blood. That's why we partake of that. And then when we partake of that, we assimilate it into our bodies, reflecting that we assimilated Jesus into our lives. He's a part of me. I live for him now. So it's a, uh, like a recommitment or we, we remind ourselves of our commitment to Jesus. That's the Lord's Supper. That's why we take this which is why it's just for Christians. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, this is not for you. This reminds us of our communion, our union with Jesus. First, you need to have communion, union with Jesus before you take the elements. And I also want to say to you as well, if you're a Christian and you have something against someone, you've not gone, you have not gone to reconcile with that Christian or non-Christian for that matter, you should not partake of the elements. Wait, go try to reconcile with that brother or sister in Christ. Go try to reconcile with that person. Because if we take the elements, which shows that we've been reconciled with God, and yet we have something against someone else, see how it doesn't make sense? We're the living expression of worshiping the triune God. The real presence of Christ is here. So we'll celebrate that, especially when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It reminds us vividly that Jesus is here, right?
So let's pray and ask him to do that, to remind us of that. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus, the living water who satisfies, oh, he satisfies our thirsts. The living water, the thirst-quenching water, Jesus. We pray for those that are here that do not know you, that Jesus, they will drink you. And Father, we pray by your spirit, those of us who know you and will partake of these elements, remind ourselves of your grace. We'll reflect, we'll examine, and we'll remember what you have done. So take this minute, if you would, to ponder what we've seen in God's word. Fill your mind with truth, preparing your heart, reflecting on the gospel, examining your heart, but reminding yourself of grace. Take this next minute to do that, would you please?